Welcome everybody to the Good Data Podcast. We have a great interview today. Nabil Mahmood is our guest. Nabil was our second ever guest on the show, and it's fantastic to have him back on. Nabil called in from his home in paradise in the great state of Hawaii, so at one point you'll hear something that kind of sounds like a loud klaxon going off. It's actually just a bird. (laughs) I conducted the interview from the uh, Data Center Dynamics show at the Marriott Marquis in New York, so there's a good chance that if you're listening to this podcast, you were there. So you'll hear some chatter in the background, so that might be you. I find Nabil so interesting. Being an entrepreneur, he's got a ton of new ventures that he's working on, including one that we mostly focused on today, which is a company called Query, and it's spelled Q-U-E-R-A-I. So it's like investigating things with AI. What they're doing is... They're using AI to improve the performance of monitoring software, and they're starting specifically with batteries, which I think is a great place to start. It's so often just conceived of as part of the UPS system, when really there are these unique challenges with batteries and completely separate requirements and specifications from the UPS itself. We also talk about the IDCA, the International Data Center Authority, where he sits on the Technical Standards Committee. For those of you who don't know, IDCA is a standards body that is attempting to bridge some of the gaps between what ISO and Uptime and TIA and some other great agencies are doing. I think that just talking with Nabil, they're on their way to helping unify the monitoring and controls, especially leveraging things like APIs so that data center software packages talk nicely to each other. It's finally happening. It's only taken like 50 years, but software is actually coming around. Let's go. Nabil, welcome to Good Data. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me again. It's uh, a pleasure to be back on the show. Yeah, I want to thank you so much for the last interview that we had with you. It was probably one of our best episodes, at least in terms of the reception that we got. We had a lot of people who, who really appreciated it. So it was just a pleasure talking with you last time, and I can't wait to get talking with you again. And part of that is that you are an entrepreneur and somebody who does so many different, very interesting things, but you've adopted some new ventures and I, I want to dig into all of them. But I think one of the main ones that you wanted to talk about that was data center focused was the battery monitoring systems that you're working with right now. So first of all, what is that system called and what can you just give the elevator pitch for? And then we'll, we'll dig in a little bit deeper to get into the specifics. Absolutely. So since we last spoke, there's been quite a lot of changes. The name of the company is Query. It's spelled Q-U-E-R-A-I, like you're running a query with artificial intelligence built into it. So I came up with this idea and something that we have been actually doing you know, for several years with my partners, whereby we believe that there has been a significant amount of capital spent in the data sensor space, right? So I mean, we're looking at 5G, we're looking at cloud computing, so on and so forth. 
the cost of building the infrastructure has not gone down. Uh, we are following the same processes, the same design concept whatsoever that we have been for the last two decades or so. So we came up with the idea of, so where can we potentially reduce the cost of developing, maintaining a data center? And that came down to the energy storage level. And a part of the idea that uh, helped uh, with that was also risk management and risk mitigation as well in the power quality, power distribution, and the energy storage level. So at a high level of this organization, a part of the idea is to uh, have real-time information for what's going on into your power quality change, power management change, and energy storage change. On top of that, the vision hereby is to not over-engineer your energy storage and design it to what your real needs are. We want to be able to provide real-time information to the three tiers is what I call it in the process. You've got your executive management, you've got your operational team, and you've got your functional team. And we want to bridge the gap of communication that lies there today. So the executives are very interested in the financial part of the equation. The operation teams needs to understand the operational piece whereby they can communicate up the food chain. And they're not necessarily that technical. And a lot of that is lost between technical and operational part of the equation. So we want the technical teams to be engaged as well. Now, there's a lot of other battery management systems available in the marketplace, such as Albear, BTEX, Alwatt, so and so forth. And they're great tools and resources, and they provide a lot of information, but that information is actually stopping at the technical level. It's not getting to the functional, the operational, and the executive management, whereby they can actually make sense of that data. So we got involved in this project a couple of years ago. We started a pilot project out in, on the other side of the pond. And we deployed and modified the software for this customer of ours, which we've been deployed for about two years now. And uh, it's basically proven that our concepts are functional. They're workable. We have seen roughly about 30% cost reduction in management maintenance. We have increased the life cycle of the batteries by roughly about 30%. We have eliminated you know, roughly about 18 to 20% of human capital as well. So the longer for short is, what is the value proposition? The value proposition hereby is that you're capable of getting real-time information, and it's going to be in simple layman's term. So every functional area gets to see data and what it means to them. And there's a significant amount of cost savings, and the return of investment is between 12 to 18 months so far uh, based on our uh, implementations. One of the things that's most interesting to me about batteries is that it's something that we sort of take for granted. We talk about UPS, but not batteries necessarily. The battery almost becomes part of the UPS system when we think about it. So thinking about the battery itself is something that I think is not on the radar for a lot of data center operators. And I, I really think that's a failing because the way that we tend to think about it, at least to me, is that we think about replacing the entire string of batteries instead of really thinking about a cell-by-cell -cell level. And mm -hmm. that was something that you had brought up before, that there's an opportunity there to both save costs and improve availability by really taking it down to that cell level. So can you talk about that a little bit, just why there's so much opportunity there? Absolutely. So what, what, what happens when you uh, don't have real-time information? 
you're basically making a lot of assumptions, right? So one cell can go out, the jar can go out, and you don't have the real-time information. You can't make decisions on a real-time basis. So you are reacting to data that might be a day old, that might be a week old, it could be a month old, it could be six months old. And by that time, it's actually caused the damage, whereby it could take the entire string out. So you think that you might have five, seven, you know, 10 minutes of a runtime, but your entire string is out and you don't have that runtime. So what we are saying is that predictive analysis and real-time information is critical to, to ensure that the battery can last longer. And how are we doing that? We are basically leveraging tools, monitoring tools that you know, people might have in place or not. And we are expanding the capabilities based on that by giving information pertaining to uh, what your temperature is, what the float current is, what the float voltage for each jar at the string level is. We can do discharge analysis and so on and so forth. And that data and those analytics on a real-time basis. Now, if a battery starts to go downhill or we, you know, based on data, it says, okay, so at 70% or 75% of its life, then we are going to potentially go ahead and replace that one asset, not necessarily the entire string. So what's that going to do is actually going to extend the life cycle of the entire investment. So you're replacing one bad, potential bad battery, not the entire string. Right. And this is a different topic, but the idea to me that this is also somewhat of a green opportunity just in terms of being able to isolate, let's say it's a, a VRLA battery that is not a green battery. It's got a lot of volatile chemicals that are, that are somewhat dangerous and also just not good for the environment. And if you can identify those bad cells and pluck them out before they cause damage to the rest of the string, and you're not replacing all the batteries all the time, you're replacing the ones that are causing issues, then you're actually reducing some of that sort of effluent of problematic materials out of the data center. There's so few things that come out of a data center that are actually materials. So mm -hmm. batteries is one of the primary ones that is actually a, an environmental hazard. So... That's just something that I think is really interesting and, and a real opportunity from a green perspective. I think most of the time in most data centers these days, I see uh, the VRL8 batteries. We, we still see some of the big lead acid jars. And right now, we're starting to see a lot more of the lithium batteries. So I was wondering if there's some opportunity there with the lithium and some of the thermal runaway issues that might happen that people are kind of scared of, if there's uh, much that you think is open to that kind of battery monitoring as well. Absolutely. I mean, our initial focus is going to be on the lead acid and VRLA batteries. Uh, I believe lithium is still very, very young. Uh, right. The market has got to be built up for it. Uh, we really don't know, um, you know, how, first of all, how much lithium is actually available out there. Right. And, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's a controversial discussion in itself. And, and how much uh, is it being used just in cell phones? And I mean, there's so much demand for it. The prices are bound to go up sometime. Exactly. So uh, there, there's certainly a market out there. There's certainly an opportunity out there for that as well. But I believe as it stands today, our focus as an organization initially is going to be on VRLA and lead acid battery. I mean, that market by itself is fairly 
fairly large. And part of the vision is to, like you said, to, to reduce that chemical footprint, that net footprint. I mean, uh, how do we dispose of these batteries from the data centers, like you said earlier? So we want to make sure that, you know, in some way, form, or shape, that there is a little bit of the green initiated, whereby we are not hurting the earth, right? Just for the insurance that our data center is going to be up and running. So how much of the query solution is software-based and how much of it is actually a hardware solution? You said that you interface with other sensors and things like that, but, but how much of this solution is actually software and predictive analysis? So as an organization for us, I mean, what, what we do and or what we will be providing pertaining to our services and our solution, we are going to be about 100% software-based. At this point in time, don't really have any intentions whatsoever of getting into the hardware business. I would not say no to it, but I believe that there is plenty of good tools available out there whereby we can actually partner up with them in a lot of cases, uh, leverage APIs and whatnot to you know, help with, with the data mining. Our focus is more going to be around data mining and ensuring that we are able to help with predictive analysis and real-time analytics. Well, that, that is one of the most difficult things, really. At this point, there are a lot of data lakes out there that you really need to get accurate, actionable information from. So, you know, I don't know if it's uh, machine learning or, or anything like that, but using good, well-managed data to leverage into something that is actionable is probably one of the hardest things. So if, if you crack that nut, it, it really is a huge opportunity uh, is, is that sort of where you're at is, is making that uh, actionable intelligence out of existing data? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I kind of tell people that what the business that we are in is what we, we support the, the, the greatest applications. We support the greatest technology, right? We provide, right. Uh, we provide the foundation for RPA, robotic process automation. We provide the foundation for machine learning. We provide the foundation for artificial intelligence. And if you look at any of those technologies and any of those platforms, I mean, what is it driven on? It's basically really driven on data. I mean, data is actually really helping drive uh, RPA processes. It's driving machine learning. It's driving AI. Okay. Right. But we don't eat our own dog food. Being right. in the industry, we don't eat our own dog food. And that's a part of the challenge. So the good news, however, is that there's plenty of information available. There's plenty of deployments across the world for some of these tools that I talked about earlier, but there is no uniformity. There is right. a lack, there's a lack of uh, communication. There's a lack of understanding between all these tiers. And when I actually started my career in this industry, one of the things, and I still look back at it and laugh at it sort of, that I was told IT and facilities don't like each other. They don't like talking to each other. They're not on the same page. Right. Okay. Two decades later, where do we stand? We are square one. The same challenge exists. Right. Now, things have actually changed a little bit. And the reason for that is before, you know, data centers, data itself was considered necessarily evil. We have to have it. Okay. I call it, it used to be the L in a PL statement. It was a cost center. We're not making any money out of it. Right. Culture has changed. So it's about business continuity. It's about industry leadership. It's about technology innovation, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of interest from the executive management and the ownerships of the company. There's a lot of venture capital money that's coming in. There is a lot of involvement from you know, the financial institutions, the finance guys, 
so on and so forth. So of course, it's actually sparked a level of interest, but they don't know technology, they don't understand the basics. And on top of that, they are not able to communicate or comprehend what the facility guys are telling them or the IT guys are telling them. So you've got another layer, right? So what we envision is to simplify the process whereby facilities, IT, and you know the executive management can look at the same data and make sense of it. So yeah, they can be sitting across from each other in a conference room, speaking three different languages, but at the end of the day, the, the results are consistent across the board and they're able to communicate back and forth. The API ecosystem has improved so much that I don't think anybody was talking about APIs in the facility space five years ago. Mm-hmm. That software was made to have an integration with another specific software package and it was all kind of had NDAs that had to be passed back and forth that would take forever to actually implement. And then by the time it was implemented, the software itself was out of date. So at this point, we, we've gotten past that, it seems, or hopefully we have, that now there are APIs that are available that somebody who is a smaller company could get access to a Schneider or a uh, Nlight type of software on the back end and can make that actually a functional integration with a lot less work and, and without those huge back-end agreements. So <laughs> I think that is one of the things that's really going to bridge that gap is the ability for the data center infrastructure itself to now talk outwards in, in a way that's actionable. I, I, is that something that you're feeling like that it seems like that API ecosystem has improved and that really is one of the reasons why this software could make sense or it does make sense is that that, that is now available when it wasn't. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, I'm not sure if you actually talked about this or not, but I actually am involved with IDCA as well, which is the International Data Center Authority. And a part of the premise is basically to develop these standards. And uh, I believe you're heading in the right direction as an industry, whereby, as you said, that, you know, the APIs are a lot more friendlier now. They're functionable. So the level of standardization has actually driven that behavior. And, uh, you know, we, we've, we've made the first positive step and there's still quite a lot that needs to be done. Um, but as we define those standards on a global basis and people start following them, you know, more and more of this is going to happen and it will start making a lot more sense to all of us. So getting even deeper into that, because I think that not just batteries, but there's so much opportunity in the whole marketplace to create a larger understanding of the data center facility not just batteries, but UPSs, generators, so that I I love the idea that at some point we're going to have an integration between, say, your battery monitoring and orchestration software like Kubernetes, so that if there's a problem with that battery, Kubernetes is going to know about it and we'll be able to shift loads appropriately. That is such a game changer (laughs) to me. Absolutely. And and it it is, you know, is, is that sort of... Like, is that where you see the whole model going, is, is that it actually does talk to the software level, level as well? Absolutely. I believe uh, you know, the direction that we want to take it into is that uh, it becomes more of a utility model. Okay. So you looked at your Southern California Edison, Pacific Gas and Electric, so far and so on, any of the, the, the utility companies. 
uh, why can't energy storage fall under that same model as well, whereby if one side is going down and you have access storage of energy, that you can move it to another site. So I, I do believe eventually we'll get to that point. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back on Good Data. Today's episode is brought to you by Green Lane Design. Green Lane has been designing, engineering, and building critical facilities for over 10 years, including major enterprise customers as well as co-location facilities. GLD has designed and developed an integrated stack of design disciplines. If you would be interested in a free assessment, go to greenlanedesign.com, click on contact, and mention the podcast. And we're back. So what are the what are some of the other data center assets that you think there are the best opportunities in? I mean, I think batteries, because it is sort of undervalued, is a real opportunity. But do you see moving on with other actionable intelligence engines to other uh, assets as well? So one of the other things that we're looking at uh, to, to add value to it is... Uh, work order, work order management, battery replacement, battery replacement management, warranty management, so on and so forth, right? So when the batteries come in, you've got, let's say, you know, 10-year life cycle of the battery, whatever the case might be, battery has an issue. Now, if you've got all this data, right, battery starts swelling up, uh, the battery is replaced, now you're fighting against, you know, a warranty claim, so on and so forth, you're wasting a lot of time. So right. we've got these analytics and real-time information that's actually kept in a repository. So the issue arises that generally automatically generate um, a work order ticket, right? So now whoever is responsible for that will get the notification, will issue a work order whereby the battery is going to be decommissioned, a new battery is going to be installed, whatever protocols they follow with the downtime and whatnot, it's going to be followed. The battery is sent over to the manufacturer, the claim is filed with all the relevant information. So we're making that process easier on the back end as well. So you've got the entire life cycle of the battery, right? So you will have your inventory management uh, with uh, barcoding and scanning. So every time you're doing PMs on it or whatever the case might be, you've got that information in your inventory management system. And then the entire history of the battery, uh, wherever the replacement happened, you're actually keeping real-time information of an asset that's been disposed of, how was it disposed of, uh, what the process was, the entire chain of command. Uh, and going back to your question, where are other opportunities? So there, I believe there's opportunities in cooling the space as well, right? Uh, in a lot of cases, we've got too much air conditioning, uh, too much cooling into, into the data center. Uh, do we need that? Not necessarily. So there, there's certainly more opportunity in that space. And also, you know, predictive analytics that can show leading indicators for equipment failure. So battery, there are a lot of opportunities there because we know certain things about voltages and batteries. Mm -hmm. uh, But in a crack unit, not to say that people are necessarily putting in a lot of crack units these days, but there might be a belt slipping or something that that could be an available data point for that kind of analytics too. So I, I get real excited about that sort of stuff. I know that, that some of your background is in enterprise resource planning. So some of the inventory management and it all kind of crosses over. Is that, is that why some of that goes into your methodology? And uh, maybe even before we start, can you talk about what ERP is and why that 
you know, how that served in the data center? Absolutely. So ERP is enterprise resource planning. Uh, it's basically a software uh, that's used across multiple facets in a, uh, in an organization. So for instance, sales, manufacturing, finance, um, uh, scheduling, so on and so forth. Uh, it's basically a mothership of running a business. So everybody's speaking, it's a single payment class, everybody's speaking the same language, all of your users and the data pertaining to their jobs and job descriptions. Uh, that data comes in and makes sense to different business unit managers and eventually the owners and the shareholders of the company. So our methodology is basically the same, right? There's no core um, repository of the information. There are so many different systems uh, to, to manage so many different business elements in the data center. So we're bringing that ERP mindset whereby we want to create a single pane of glass. So different users of different skill sets, different levels, different functions uh, can all be on the same page. That does seem to be one of our real pain points with data centers is that the financial people have a very, very hard time figuring out what the actual requirements are for any given system because it's so opaque and it's so difficult to really see into the insights in the data center. <laughs> we, we've seen so many people who uh, will overspend. There's you know, thousands of VMs that are running, not doing anything. Maybe not in a given organization, but we've seen definitely places where there is just a lot of waste there. And to be able to cross all those boundaries in a single plane of glass is still very hard. Um, but it, it's something we're starting to see more availability on. And I think that the, the sort of CFO is the one who really needs to see it. <laughs> Absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, I'll give you a good example. I mean, I've talked to a few of my friends in the industry and, and, and that was actually one of the reasons why I made this big transition in my life uh, over the last six months. Um, talked to a few of my friends and, um, you know, one of the things that I learned from them is like, okay, so every four years or five years, they've got targeted, they're going to replace all these batteries in the data center. They, they don't know they're good or bad. So right. you're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars in replacing these assets, whereby you probably could get another two, three, four, five years out of them. Right. But that's a standard policy that was defined a decade ago by some engineer um, that uh, wanted to make sure that he or she doesn't lose their job. <laughs> Now, you know, things have actually changed over the years. Uh, we did not have all of this intelligence uh, into the system of the data points. Uh, we, we, we did uh, what we were told or what we learned, but uh, experience has shown that if you manage properly, um, you can actually extend the life cycle of a battery or any of those assets for that matter. So how much do you see the, it seems like the, Facilities people don't necessarily buy into the financial issues. Is that something that you get, you know, get pushback from the people who are feet on the ground? Or is, is this something that kind of comes down from the sea level down? Like, who is your customer necessarily? Well, I mean, our customer is going to be the, the three functional areas that I talked about, the sea level, the operational, and the technical folks. The reason, one of the reasons why there is that gap is that how are you going to hold somebody accountable if you cannot define and understand their KPIs? Right. So I'm a data center manager, right? I'm going to extend the battery life cycle by 
right? Because it, it, let's just assume for the sake of conversation, it was planned to be four years. I get one more year. My battery replacement is roughly about $4 million, okay? So if I've extended the life cycle of the battery set, uh, I've actually basically, you know, helped the company with about a million dollars in savings. Right. Right? What's my KPI? How am I to justify or what did I do correctly justify that I made the right decision? Okay. There has been that gap. So we are actually developing those metrics whereby, you know, you can have that conversation at the same, same level, whether financial or technical, but there is an understanding. Guys, if I, if I do these, if I take these measures and extend the life cycle of the battery uh, or any of these assets in the environment, I should have some KPIs. So there is an incentive on both ends of the picture. That's actually, in my experience with attempting to develop KPIs, it's very difficult to get good, actionable KPIs that extend to the people who need to be held accountable. So in your experience, I mean, you've been a C-level type person. How, how would you, who would you hold accountable for, for the spend versus the I mean, this is, this is almost not software related. I'm just wondering personally, <laughs> how, how, who, who would you hold responsible for that, uh, that bridging that gap for the spend versus the uptime, which is usually the KPI for a data center person? Correct. So, I mean, that needs to come from both the parties. Uh, the C-level folks, I mean, what are we looking at, right? I mean, okay, so I'm looking for uptime. Okay. Um, uh, looking for efficiencies, I'm looking for cost reduction. If I can translate that into a technical KPI whereby uh, there is a financial impact to it um, and there's an understanding from those technical folks, um, I believe you can create a common ground of understanding and developing those KPIs. I mean, of course, the KPIs are going to come in from the ownership or the C-level uh, folks, um, but having these data points and having uh, basically, you know, I, I'll call it the data center translator, right? In a way whereby, you know, what Nabil is doing makes sense to what uh, Drew is doing and other folks in the organization. Uh, and that, that there's a relevance to it. There's an associating point to it. As long as we can understand each other, as long as we can understand each of those languages, I believe those KPIs could be developed fairly easy. It makes sense, I think, the most if you can integrate all the information, which I, I have found. And I've, I've worked with a number of data center infrastructure management softwares, and it's not easy for most people. That Absolutely. <laughs> I get it. I mean, yeah. that's going to be a part of the services that Query is going to have to provide. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, again, I am not afraid of taking any challenges. Yeah. Uh, or challenge for that matter, because if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the interesting mix of disciplines that you have to work through is getting the software right and also the buy-in from the, the C-level, the ops people, and the technical people. That's it's not many people who can cut through all of those pieces. Exactly. Um, so getting back to sort of ERP and the integration and getting to a single pane of glass, which is, is definitely easier said than done. Cause I've, I've personally never seen a single pane of, of it glass before. And now that things are so fragmented between cloud on-premise co-location, how much do you have to 
take the uh, BI software, the uh, you know the data center infrastructure management, all, all the different pieces. H how do you? <laughs> I guess this isn't necessarily your job, but just I, I want more insight personally into um, taking all that and integrating it because uh, it it still feels like you've got your ERP, you've got your BI, you've got your monitoring, and they still aren't integrated for whatever reason. Do you do you have a sense of why it's so? difficult <laughs> to make that happen? Well, so first of all, we've created that fragmentation ourselves, right? DSIM, uh, where is DSIM's core focus been? DSIM's core focus, in my opinion, has been in the data center space, which we call the white space, I believe. Right. Right? That's your servers, your storage, your voice, right? So you're looking at your assets, your asset management, your power distribution within that space. But you're forgetting the foundation of it. So you're not looking at your crack units. I mean, you're looking at airflow, potentially in a lot of those cases, but you're not looking at the, the core of it, the foundation of it. I believe that's where our play is. Now, we've created that you know, segregation because DSM falls under the IT role. What we're trying to do falls under the facilities role. But at some point in time, over the next five to 10 years, it's going to have to start coming closer and together and create that uniformity. There has to be a starting point. I mean, our starting point is that the facilities uh, have not been given the attention and or they actually do not potentially want to get into that space because of the fear factor that IT is going to take over. And they also believe I mean, hey, personally, you know, they also believe that uh, IT does not have necessarily the understanding of power quality, power distribution, um, you know, air quality, air distribution, so on and so forth. So there is that gap, and there has to be a starting point. And I believe what we're trying to do here is to to, to bridge that and, and get it to as close as possible. Uh, there isn't a solution in my research or experience that is that uniform platform that exists today. Right. Uh, will there be one in the future? Absolutely. But we have to learn from our experiences, really. Uh, I mean, what we preach everybody else in the world uh, about RPA, machine learning, artificial intelligence, we need to start bringing that back into our core practice. Right. That's, to me, that's the, you know, hundred billion dollar question is <laughs> how, how do you manage the entire thing? And you know, I, right now I'm at the data center dynamics conference in New York and seeing a lot of different software vendors attempting to bridge that gap. And I think a lot of it is going to be coming down to everybody's talking about APIs, which the last time I was here, nobody even said the word API. So the idea of interoperability between systems is finally coming from the 80s, which is, you know, the old MIBs and everything that was part of the existing infrastructure is finally getting into the 2010s. <laughs> um, exactly. so it, is, it is very, it's, it's heartening. It, it feels like good things are going to happen soon that we're actually talking in terms of, of what programming has been for the last 10 years, if not more. Is the biggest difficulty that it is these large players, uh, you know, not necessarily to call out names, but that they have always put a lot of money into developing proprietary, well, I guess I'll, I'll just say, for instances, uh, Vertiv, Liebert, 
Schneider, you know, they, these are large companies that, that develop their own software and they held onto it really tightly and wanted to own the whole thing. I, I think part of the problem, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that that doesn't work with software. <laughs> is that, is Absolutely. that true? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, I, I, I would not blame the, 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 the Vertives, the Eatons, the Schneiders of the world, because, I mean, you look at other, other verticals, uh, even in the software business, I mean, you look at IBM, Dell, so on and so forth. I mean, they're, they're having the, the same challenges. So we just have to learn from our experiences. Yeah. Uh, they, they are opening up quite a bit, uh, like we talked about earlier in the conversation. Um, whereby you don't have to sign this, those excruciating contracts that take right. forever to execute. And by the time you, 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 you get to a point whereby you can actually start working on something, the, the platform has changed, the software is all. Uh, so they are opening up, which is in itself uh, a big progression. So just we, we kind of skipped over, well, not skipped over, but thinking about the micro data centers and the edge and the inherent complexity of having multiple sites that all have to be monitored is is that part of your frontier to really be touching single rack data centers uh you know remote or hazardous location data centers um with the battery monitoring and and all, all the other types of monitoring that we're talking about? Yeah, so a part of the vision that we have and why we got really excited about launching Query is that you can create that level of standardization, right? So what's going to happen with the edge computing? I mean, it's a much smaller footprint and it needs to fit like a glove in, in every environment. I mean, a million sites that are planned for the U.S. market uh, in the next, I think, three to five years, um, they need to have a level of standardization, right? Now, you've got all these silos, uh, but there's got to be uh, a management platform to get that information and manage it. Uh, somebody was giving me this, and somebody was telling me rather about this, that uh, an autonomous vehicle is probably going to be uh, from site to site, uh, transmitting and receiving about uh, a gigabyte of data uh, every time it, it drives through, right? So what does that mean? I mean, it's going to be a ridiculous amount of sites across the country. That means that we need to cut down the, the cost of building those sites. That means that we need to not overbuild these sites. That means that there's got to be a uniformity, right? So our platform basically, you know, what the way I look at it is that, and, and you've been in the industry for a long time, Drew, uh, how many times have you actually really seen a data center design from an energy storage perspective at close to the actual plan utilization? <laughs> um, I cannot think of one. Uh, exactly, right? Yeah. So we, we, typically, we typically, best case scenario, we're planning 50% more than what the actual plan utilization is because we, right. might, we might overextend ourselves, right? Uh, <laughs> so a part of our strategy here is to get as close as possible to the actual utilization factor, okay? Uh, because in reality, you know, what is it? You need about seven seconds to move over to the, the secondary power, okay? Uh, so it doesn't really matter. I mean, okay, so in, in actuality, uh, the seven second really transpires into about 35 to 40 seconds right. before the load transfer over. But 
still, do we need to design data centers with, you know, an hour of a runtime or two hours? No. Yeah. I would say let's, let's cut it down because, you know, I've been on the IT side of the, the house as well. And I know that if I, if I am running a 50,000 square foot site and I even have an hour of a runtime, I cannot shut down every single machine gracefully. So right. I can live with a minute. I can live with seven minutes. But do I really need an hour? No, I don't. So the idea is to create the level of standardization in the marketplace whereby, okay, let's, let's agree to a number. Is it five minutes? Is it 10 minutes? Whatever the case might be. Um, that you don't need to over, over design the energy storage. Okay. Uh, and then uh, with it being a, a software and potentially software as a service, then you actually have one centralized area whereby you can access every single site as well. So that's, that's the vision is to create and, and, you know, the 5G play uh, as well as, um, you know, the hyperscale really actually gets me excited that, more and more computing is going to happen. Okay. We want information now. That's the generation that we are. We are an information now generation. We want information now. Okay. What does that mean? That means that there's going to be more data points. There's going to be more data centers for that matter. There's going to be more computing required. Latency is going to be becoming an issue uh, relatively soon here. I mean, uh, you know, I, when I'm traveling, I mean, it feels like 4G and LTE are extremely slow on my mobile device now. Right. So uh, I'm going to want more as a user, right? That means that there's more and more build out, but we cannot do so because the market is still very young. And uh, we, like I was talking about earlier in the conversation that uh, the, the financial folks are coming into the, uh, into the space. Uh, they want results now. They also feel that the, uh, uh, the return on the investment is, you know, a lot longer. Uh, so how do we reduce that? We can reduce that by changing our design approach. We can reduce that by actually managing, mapping the information and, and reducing some of these expenses that are not necessarily needed, you know, like over-designing an infrastructure. So I believe that there is a play uh, in those two, two, two areas of growth that, uh, the market is making uh, significant uh, strides. So I'm, I'm interested in what the limits are for ERP monitoring, integration. Some of the challenges that I do foresee is that this is becoming a utility. Cybersecurity is going to be a concern and we need to address that later today. We don't, right. we don't need to be reactive down the road. The uniformity platform is going to come Eventually, it's not there today. There's like anything. I mean, you know, over the last decade, we have actually seen a lot of consolidation by mergers and acquisitions. That's going to keep on happening, and that's eventually potentially going to create that level of standardization. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know the word. The Eatons, the Schneiders of the world, could be that uh, power quality utility company. I do not know that. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's the play a lot of people are making. A lot of organizations are making. Uh, there is going to be consolidation and there's going to be standardization. But they're, they're, my, my biggest concern uh, besides the uniformity would be the foundational part of it and you know, certainly on the cybersecurity part. So IDCA is, is doing some of that work to do the legwork for creating uniformity. Open Compute, I, I see a lot of excitement about because it's working that way in a different way. How do IDCA and Open Compute work together? 
I mean, IDCA, again, it's, it's very, very open to understanding what the market challenges are and how we can unify that and open computers, again, you know, around the same lines. Uh, eventually, it's going to be a collaborative effort from these organizations. I believe Open Compute started by Facebook, LinkedIn folks. If Correct. I remember correctly. Yes, yeah. So, I mean, of course, uh, their charter is funded heavily. They've got the capital and the infusion whereby they can actually go out and do a lot of these testings and whatnot and uh, define those standards. Uh, IDCA is making an effort as well. And, uh, you know, my peers across the world are, you know, basically people like myself that are potentially very outspoken and, uh, I would say kind of creative thinkers in a way and question, right. questioning why are we doing what we're doing. Uh, our, our experiences combined together based on real time, uh, actually real life information is what's driving the IDCS standards. And I mean, and, and of course we question each other on our biweekly calls. I think the more standards bodies that can agree on those standards and help guide the larger conversation, I think is is great. I think one of the one of the weaker aspects that I see for open compute is the data center, the the large scale data center. So uh, they have those specs for the large scale data center, but they really focus on the very small hardware level, the racks, the compute nodes, the storage, all of that stuff. So if there's a interplay there, it feels like. IDCA is, is more working on the larger facility piece, if I understand it. Um, that is so, correct, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I like the idea of, you know, all these things kind of talking to each other and, and having real dialogue around these types of things because I really exactly. feel like it needs to happen. I, you know, I, that's why I do this podcast is that I want people to talk these things through and really think about the effects that we're having on uptime and also the world you know i keep hearing different estimates of of how much energy use the data center infrastructure is actually part of the global energy use i've heard six percent i keep hearing two percent but you know we have to be good stewards to that entire equation so absolutely well i mean i i I, the the way i look at it is through is that at least we we've got some sort of a percentage i remember when we didn't even know what we we're doing. I mean, there was no metric available whatsoever. I mean, PU right. came into existence and it was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, it's progress. I mean, we, we are learning and uh, that's uh, what's going to make us better. And it's fantastic that PUEs just, I was just seeing a statistic that in 2011, PUE average was like 1.86. And in 2018, it was uh, less than one or about 1.5. And you can easily achieve now with, with off-the-shelf hardware 1.05. Not easily. I shouldn't say easily, but it is doable <laughs> to do Correct. that. Things are going in the right direction. That's, that's the very good news, I think. So Absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Any other uh, things that we didn't touch on that you'd like to touch on? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, what's important? Uh, I believe uh, it's knowledge. Uh, The more you know, the better decisions you're going to make. And I mean, that applies into anything and everything that we do as human beings. Uh, I mean, a few things that I would like to kind of sort of summarize it was that, uh, you know, why did I get into it is because I, I am a firm believer 
And if we do not change the mindset and keep on doing the same thing over and over again, we should not be expecting different results. So getting into and launching query and, and you know, this was a project that uh, we had been working on for the last couple of years. The whole idea behind it is that let's make smarter decisions. So let's build processes. Let's build that level of intelligence that we talk about and support for a lot of different verticals, but we don't do it for ourselves. And uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer in user experience. You make it simple and easy for people. And you make it whereby they can understand it makes it for a successful implementation and a successful experience, you know, and, and those are some of the things that I've like kind of learned from my personal experiences. I mean, I was actually traveling to Rome and I had never been to Rome and well, not to mention, I actually did not speak Italian whatsoever. Uh, people were very hospitable and my entire travel was actually the best travel experience ever I've had in my life. I used Google translate. I talked to a lot of Italians using Google translate and that was very much so experience driven. It's, it was all UI. So uh, we want to build more on the UI. We want to, to ensure that we're speaking the same language across the table and there's that level of uniformity. And query really is actually a foundation to it all. I think in terms of adoption, having that fantastic UI is so important. And also in terms of keeping up with the actual continuation of the product. For somebody to adopt, it has to have a fantastic UI, and for somebody to maintain, it requires fantastic UI or UX. And uh, that's so lacking in so much of the monitoring software. I think one of the biggest frustrations about DC, DCIM and monitoring systems is how difficult it is to use. So if you can crack that nut, that is a, a huge benefit, I think. Absolutely. Well, we're going to give it a try. We'll make every effort. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I look forward to it. I, I really want to see what comes out. So I guess we can wrap it up. I, I really appreciate you talking with us again. I think I just am so interested in how your mind works and, and where you're going to go from here and integrating all of those pieces. So we'll talk again soon, I hope, and keep looking back and seeing where we're going to go. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast again. It's certainly been a pleasure and, uh, you know, happy to be a part of uh, your growing podcast and uh, contribute to the data center market. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nabil. Very good. That's our show. You can find Nabil Mahmood on Twitter at Nabil Mahmood and on LinkedIn. He's got a website, NabilMahmood.com. Thanks to our sponsor, Green Lane Design. Go to greenlanedesign.com for more info. I'd like to thank Juke Deck for providing our theme music. For good data, I'm Drew Farnsworth. I'll talk to you next time on the podcast. <laughs>